This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome into a very special edition of the BearCast on Sikkim 365 Radio, Sikkim365.com. It is the BearCast, and it is the special preview edition of the season opener for the BearCast. After all this time, these many months, these many weeks, through spring football and signing classes and drama and realignment and questions of which there are still some and answers of which we'll find out more finally the time has arrived to talk about well a topic very near and dear to our hearts actual football as albany will be making their way down to waco here in the next couple of days the great danes uh, will be setting their sights on mclean stadium for the opener on saturday evening and we have got a lot to talk about craig smoke with you as always sikkim 365 radio host and writer joined by grayson grunhafer Director of Broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter for Sikkim 365. And Grayson, uh, we've been here in some form or fashion every single week. Uh, Now's the time where you see a lot of uh, people firing back up the old microphones to get in on the season. Um, You know, the more the merrier. Uh, College football is about to get fired up in a big way and Technically did last weekend, but uh, now it's time for Dave Aranda and the Bears to take the field. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, this is a great time, right? College football's back. This is a moment I think everyone's been waiting for, excited about. Uh, you know, people are so passionate about college football, and I think that's what makes it so fun. Um, and so now we're finally going to be able to see, you know, more football. I know week zero happened, but I think week one is where you're going to get to see, you know, ranked matchups, big matchups, some rivalries as well, new coaches. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, and obviously we get to see Baylor as well and see what this version of Baylor is going to look like coming off of a big 12 championship a year ago, a sugar bowl victory a year ago. I'm um, in high expectations in Dave Randa's third year as the Baylor head coach. Yeah. And uh, he laid it all out on the line uh, during, you know, a couple different interviews yesterday had his press conference, which was interesting to listen to. And also his one-on-one with Smokey, uh, which was very good stuff and covered some of the same topics in both, but also kind of veered in different directions with both interviews as well. So there's a good 30 plus minutes of, of Dave Aranda alone from yesterday that you can listen to in a couple of different ways. Uh, we'll get into some of what he talked about, but we're going to hit on some of the main topics leading into this game of which everybody expects Baylor to win and win handily. It will really be about just the experience Uh, especially for the younger players. It'll be about just the changes and kind of having those right there in front of you and actually taking place uh, and not in a practice setting against your teammates, but against other live competition. And it'll be about, you know, dipping the toes in the water for others and and a million other things. But we'll kind of touch on the the main points ahead of uh, the matchup this Saturday, of which last I looked, the Bears are six touchdown favorites. Uh, Six touchdown favorites. We can talk about that. The team doesn't need to worry about that. Uh, But I think that they know that, kind of like I said in an article today about what Dave Aranda seemed to really say throughout, this is about Baylor doing what they need to do, not so much about Albany. We will talk about Albany. But this is really about the Bears and sharpening their own knives. Yeah, and I think it's about seeing what guys can do, right? And just seeing, you know, who are going to be the biggest contributors and the biggest factors on this football team and just see the growth and how everyone's improved over the spring and fall. And 
I think it's important for the coaches to start to figure out who they can trust as well. You know, the wide receiver position, for instance, is one that I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but, you know, they got to figure out who their, you know, three to five guys are. And I'm not going to say that you're going to know that for sure in the Albany game, but you for sure will get an idea of it. And you will definitely know about it after the BYU game. So there's some important factors, but you're right. This is all about Baylor. This has nothing to do with Albany. This is them going out there and do what they should do, which is dominate this football game. This should not be a close one. We'll talk about kind of our predictions for it. But in general, this is kind of all about Baylor in week one. And that's what makes it so fun, though. I think, is you finally get to see a product on the football field. Yes, you do. So uh, let's talk about that product. We'll get into the depth chart. Won't spend a ton of time on that because it's the first depth chart, but there is a couple of things on there that are of note. We'll get into a a preview of Albany and then a preview of the season itself and then the uh, mailbag as well to close things out and uh, Big 12 predictions. So uh, I want you with the depth chart because, I mean, we know Blake Shapin's the starting quarterback. We don't really need to, like, get into that. Uh, and, And a lot of other positions we know pretty well what's going on or is what was expected is is on that piece of paper that everybody received yesterday um, but there are a couple of things so I'm just going to start reading and stop me when you want to talk about something in particular okay so okay. here's the starting depth chart uh too deep I should say that Baylor football released yesterday and I have a feeling we're probably going to start right away with some stoppage because uh <laughs> wide receivers are listed first and I'm going by the depth chart that's on sickum365.com uh, three wide receivers listed as first team, and all sophomores, Monterey Baldwin, Hal Presley, and Seth Jones. And then you have others uh, like Javon Gibson and Josh Cameron backing up Seth Jones, Winfield, Armani Winfield, Jonathan Davidson behind Presley and Gavin Holmes, or Jordan Neighbors behind Monterey Baldwin and Holmes, uh, Winfield, Gibson, Cameron. I think all these guys are people we expect to see a lot of. So take that you know starting lineup for what it's worth, but... I have to say, um, you know, Monterey's not the shocker here. And I don't know if shocker's the right word, but, hey, Seth Jones, kind of surprising to see his name and uh, how pressy to a lesser extent. But uh, I'm, I have a feeling that Seth Jones, who you've talked about recently, was one of those that made you go, okay, uh, when you first saw this depth chart. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about him probably two mm-hmm. weeks ago, right? I kind of brought his name up as a guy who had really been rising. And he was a guy that I think everyone just decided to forget about after the spring game. He went out. He was the starter in the spring game. People forget that. And he came out in the fall, played really, really well. Um, him and Josh Cameron have been battling throughout camp for that spot. Um, and overall, you know, Seth won the job. It's not surprising for me because of how well Seth played in the fall and how well he did in the scrimmages as well. Um, but it is a little surprising because Josh played really well also. And so it's just very tough to pick between the two. Seth is going to get the start fine with that. I think Hal and Monterey were kind of the locked in ones that I felt like I was starting to trend towards knowing they were going to be the starters at their position, especially Monterey. You know, we knew that from the beginning of spring camp. But I think how coming back from injury, there was a little bit of question marks there, but he's really turned into a go-to guy for them. Um, so it was all about that last position. And those two guys are going to get to play a lot, both Seth Jones and Josh Cameron. So don't read this as only these three guys are going to play all year, kind of like it was a year ago. That's not going to happen. You're going to see Javon Gibson. You're going to see Josh Cameron. You're going to see Armani Winfield, and you'll probably get to see Gavin Holmes as well. Those are the guys that I expect to contribute in a big way this year. But I think the other notable part about this depth chart is no Jalen Ellis. 
and Jonathan Davidson is a walk-on. Um, so is Josh Cameron, but Jonathan Davidson is, well, Josh isn't anymore, I don't believe, but Jonathan Davidson, he's a walk-on. He's in there over Jalen Ellis, which is very, very intriguing in my eyes. I know Jalen dealt with injuries all throughout the spring, but by everything I saw, he was healthy in the fall and just has not found a way to, I guess, put it all together. I'm very curious if he comes out and shows some flashes in the Albany game if he can work his way back into the mix. But right now, he seems to be on the outside looking in. All right, uh, elsewhere, looking at the offensive line, uh, pretty much as expected going left to right, uh, Connor Galvin, Micah Mazuka at left guard, Jacob Gall at center, Grant Miller right guard, Gavin Byers right tackle, and uh, then you got your various backups, Timothy Dawn at center, Mose Jeffrey behind Micah Mazuka at left guard. I'm guessing that's where you'd probably like to start as far as that group of players yeah. goes. Let, let's just start with the fact that Mascua won the job over Mose. Mazuka. Yeah. Oh, Mazuka. Yeah, yeah, he won the job over Mose. And I think, you know, that was one where Mose came on really, really strong during the spring. And I, in my eyes, he would have been the starter after spring ball. Um, but I think talent finally won out. And this is another thing we've talked about for a while. I think Micah gives them the highest ceiling at the position, but Mose is very, very good. And I just want to make sure people keep an eye on Mose. He's going to be a very important depth piece for this offensive line throughout the entire season. I'm very happy to see Micah win the job, but I'm also very equally as happy to see the improvement Mose has made from last year to this year. Both are going to be very important for this offense line going forward, and congrats to Mike on winning that job. I think that's a big one for this offense to reach their ceiling this year. Uh, tight end Ben Sims backed up by Drake Dabney, and they can go like five or six deep. It's scary. Their tight end room, we're going to see a ton of the tight ends this year. Uh, running back Tay McWilliams, and then behind him you've got a bunch of oars. There's a bunch of oars on this depth chart. And, again, this is just a very loose thing, which is why we're not going to spend a ton of time on it. But uh, you got Quaylen Jones, who's kind of emerged, and maybe that's some injuries. Maybe that's some just he's emerged, and either way that's good because he's not a name we've heard a lot about. Richard Reese, the freshman, and then uh, Josh Fleeks, the senior, as well, but about as expected there. Yeah, and those two guys, Quaylen and Richard Reese, they performed extremely well. Squirrel missed some time in the fall, and those two guys rose to the occasion. And it's definitely been more about what they've done than the fact that Squirrel hasn't been there. They have performed really well. They're going to have a role on this team going forward. And Tay being the starter makes all the sense in the world. And Squirrel is not on the depth chart because mm -hmm. um, I think – the kind of guess is he probably won't play, and that might be the reason why. I yeah, Aranda was asked about him and Al Walcott. You know, a couple weeks back when I was at practice, I had posted simply on the premium forums. I didn't go to Twitter and blast that they were hurt or anything. I just yeah. only on the premium forums, but of course it just kind of spreads and other people saw him, and so he got asked about it a couple times, and he's just diverted it. Like, he does not answer injury questions ever, really. Um, mm -hmm. You know, unless he kind of just has no other choice, and so – he said a lot without saying absolutely anything about Al Walcott or Craig Williams yesterday in his press conference. <laughs> yeah. Like he just he mentioned he, them as like leaders and stuff, but he didn't say anything about their status. So we'll see on Saturday. But I would be kind of surprised if we saw Squirrel against Albany and Al Walcott. He had a wrap on his hand. I mean that could have already be off by now for yeah. all we know. So that's not like I said. It's not why I was blasting it out there for like oh my gosh these guys are hurt. Um, you know they're hopefully going to be back sooner rather than later. And to me, it matters a lot less for Squirrel than yeah. Al because we we know what Squirrel can do at running back. Right. We, we know this. That I'm not worried about when he's healthy. He's great. I think we, we all know that. Um, Al, on the other hand, you know, he's working in a new position, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute, but 
I think it's kind of important for him to get some reps. He's missed a lot of fall camp, and I, I just I don't know what to expect from him. I think he's going to be great, but we haven't seen it on the field, and for him to just get thrown in against BYU, that would kind of be a, a tough adjustment, I would think. Uh, quarterback, you got Blake Shapin. So there's your <laughs> offense. Uh, so really... I mean, I guess you could say Seth Jones, a wide receiver, Micah Mazuka as a starter on the O-line, even though, you know, you've talked plenty about him or kind of, I guess, the, okay, those are noticeable and things that were, you know, not necessarily predicted beforehand. Uh, but there's your offense as a whole. Defensively, I mean, you know what's up front? Bunch of big, nasty dudes. Uh, Maxwell, Ika, Gabe Hall. Uh, you've got them as your starting, you know, three-man front. Uh, and then just a bunch of oars, you know, Jackson player, TJ Franklin, Cooper lands. I mean, a ton of different guys, uh, linebacking court, your Jack spot. You got an oar with Garmin Randolph and the super senior type in Bryson Jackson, um, who also single digit, which we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, will you got Matt Jones, who I'm excited to see this year. Uh, Mike, of course, the, uh, stable tried and true there in the middle man and, uh, and Dylan Doyle and, um, yeah, I guess there's your three linebacker yeah. spots right there. Yeah, I was going to say let's stop there because we're going to have to talk a little bit more when we get a little bit lower down on the depth chart. But I think the interesting ones, Cooper Lands on second team getting an or with TJ Franklin, that's intriguing to me. Um, I think Lands is going to play some this year, but I, I wasn't sure if he would even be listed on the depth chart, to be honest with you. I thought he'd be more like third team and just get some reps against, you know, maybe the, the weaker teams on the schedule. But this tells me that they might actually have a role for him. Um, I don't think he's going to be playing over TJ Franklin or really eating into too many of his snaps, but maybe on passing downs, they feel like Cooper could make an impact as a pass rusher. Outside of that, everything else is pretty much what I expected on the defensive line. Moving on to Jack, Garmin Randolph, Bryson Jackson, they've been the starters there for a long time. Bryson is also going to get snaps at the will position as a blitzer, kind of like what we saw against Ole Miss this past year. Elite, elite quality, his ability to, to get after the quarterback. So that's kind of why he's listed at both there. Um, as far as the backups at Jack, Jackie Marshall, Tony and Yanwu, very interested to see how they do as well. And then also Josh White. Uh, he's listed at Mike linebacker instead of Will. Uh, he was doing a lot of the Will work during uh, the uh, during fall camp, but now maybe he's made the full move to Mike, and he's the primary backup to Dylan Doyle. Fascinated to see how that all works out as well and how many reps he actually gets this year. All right, in the secondary, uh, Al Walcott at star. You got Christian Morgan at safety along with Devin Lemire, and then Mark Milton and Lorando Johnson as your starting corners. So, um, definitely uh, seeing the, the youth side of whoever is going to play opposite of Mark Milton at corner. And then, um, yeah, Christian Morgan, who hadn't really been talked about a bunch, has kind of been more of a backup type the way that they've talked about it, but uh, listed a star. Maybe that's a courtesy for the seniors. Hey, it's the first game of the senior year, super senior year, whatever. Um, you know, give them the nod there. Um, but either way, there's your secondary, and that rounds out the defense. Yeah, so I have a couple thoughts here. Let me start with cornerback because it's a little bit easier. This is who I expected to be the starters at cornerback when the season started. Once Lorando made the move from star to cornerback, it, it was pretty apparent that he was likely going to start there. Um, and Mark Milton was kind of locked in as the uh, the veteran at the position. I like the backups there. Chateau Reed, Tevin Williams, A.J. McCarty, Reggie Bush. Great group. Great group of uh, backups and very talented. I think you're going to see all of them play against Albany, and I think you might see all of them play throughout the year. Um, and I'm actually, you know, Reggie Bush has been fantastic throughout fall camp. There's a chance that he does not redshirt if he is truly as in impactful as he has been throughout the fall. Safety, though. 
This is really interesting. So I think Devin Neal has been playing some star, so it makes sense that he's listed at the star. I also think this might be indicative to a possibility that Al Walcott does not play against Albany, which would therefore mean that Devin Neal would start at the star position instead of starting somewhere else. That would make some sense to me. Um, I think when the season gets rolling, I'd be very curious if he doesn't take over the boundary safety position, which is where Christian Morgan currently is listed. Um, it just seems that way. But in general, it looks like Devin Neal and Christian Morgan are kind of going to be floating around and playing a lot of snaps, but also floating out Walcott locked in at the star. And then the only guy that's really entrenched as a starter at safety is really Devin Lemire. He's literally been the starter at field safety since the beginning of spring camp, and he's been that way ever since. He's been very, very good throughout fall camp, a guy who's been a big riser, and they've needed that because they need someone to replace JT Woods. Now, I will mention, it's not going to be a one-for-one thing. He does not have the the speed, especially the deep speed that JT Woods has, but in two high safety looks, he is very, very good, and he's got the one thing that JT Woods also had. He has a knack for forcing turnovers, so keep an eye on Devin Lemire as the season progresses. All right, rounding out this depth chart here, looking at special teams, uh, not a lot to discuss, I don't believe, and I just had it. Uh, field goals, you got Isaiah Hankins, Noah Rauschenberg on kickoffs, Isaac Power at punter, um, and then kick returns, you've got Monterey Baldwin uh, and Richard Reese listed as both your kick returners and your punt returners, so... Uh, that's who you can expect to see. And uh, interesting how that might change just because of Monterey and Richard Reese. Those aren't very big dudes that are back there. And then Richard Reese, you wonder how much burn he's getting at running back and, and kind of who else goes in there. But uh, I don't think anything too shocking as far as special teams go. So there's your Baylor depth chart. We also learned uh, as of today, officially listed on the BaylorBears.com website, that single digits have been handed out. That was something I asked Aranda about early in camp. And uh, it might seem like something just kind of silly or whatever to some people. I definitely had those comments. But the reason why I asked it basically the first practice of camp, do you know why? Um, because they're more important questions later on in camp. So when better to ask it than right at the beginning and kind of get an idea of how Aranda wanted to do that. Um, he didn't make it sound as though he wanted to do like a whole big ordeal like it kind of was with Matt Rule. And he even talked about it being motivation for young guys to do things the right way, take care of school, and then be rewarded um, but it looks like some combination of the two is what eventually emerged as far as their single-digit selections because it does have some flair of being the more veteran-laden those guys. Um, but without all the flair and everything that came with that and the graphics and all that kind of jazz, um, and there's not a lot of young guys taking these spots. So it's, a, it's interesting that the way he positioned it and the way it actually turned out to be was kind of like how you would you know typically peg it, although there were a couple of surprises. So... Uh, zero, Craig Williams. No number one. Two, Matt Jones. Three, Mark Milton. Four, Christian Morgan, uh, which doesn't change for him. Five also doesn't change. That's Dylan Doyle. Six also doesn't change. That's Gavin Holmes. Those are the three that they had originally. Um, but joining Squirrel and Matt Jones, uh, you've got uh, Bryson Jackson with number seven. Ben Sims will rock number eight. And then T.J. Franklin getting number nine. I noticed for a lot of these guys, not all of them, but it's just basically taking one number off of their usual numbers, and that's, you know, resulting in the single digits. But either way, there you go. There's the single digits. Uh, not big announcement, but I just posted on the website, and cool to see, and no number one, but uh, whatever. Cool. 
Yeah, and clearly, you know, Dave Rand is not making it a big thing like Rule did. This is more just about, you know, he wants guys to earn those single digits. Like I said, he's rewarding guys. Yeah, he's just rewarding. You're you're exactly right. And so, for me, looking at this, I mean, geez, if Squirrel's healthy and rocking zero, that dude's going to run for 2,000 yards. Yep. That's (laughs) that's such a cool number um, for a running back. So, that's pretty awesome. I'm glad to see Mark Milton is no longer wearing 37. My goodness, that was kind of tough to watch. You know, that's not a great number. So now he's number three. Um, so that'll be good. I, I Ben Sims in eight. TJ Franklin earning an, a single digit, I think, is really cool. Speaks to kind of the strides that he's continued to make within the program. And Bryson Jackson, a guy who I just feel like is a guy that no one really – talked about until he was at big 12 media days you know he was kind of a forgotten guy even though he's he had some big moments last year but i think you're starting to see how much they really value him and how big of a part of a program of the program that he truly is so very cool to see these guys are in these numbers matt jones of course as well another veteran leader so um very very cool and i think it's a, a unique thing that dave randa did but not as big of a deal as matt rule did in the past yep so uh was able to ask that you can go back and read his answers to that in an article i did like three months ago it seems like at this point but uh cool to have that out there and that answered and um We'll see how those guys perform, but uh, definitely some big shoes to fill for those guys who did make that such a big deal over the last few years. Now, elsewhere, oh, yeah, there's the opponent, the Albany Great Danes. They're coming down from the state capital of New York. And Dave Aranda had several thoughts, just kind of in general. And, again, I'll revert back to it's really more about what Baylor does and how they execute and how they operate. But, Grayson, what do the folks out there need to know about the Albany Great Danes? Yeah, I think just in general, talking about what they did last year is probably a great place to start. Um, you know, they got destroyed by North Dakota State 28-6. to six. They, they went 2-9 and nine on the year. They went to Syracuse last year, lost 24-62, to 62, um, so got blown out there. They also had some sneaky close games, though. They played a ranked Delaware team, lost 15-20. to 20. A ranked Villanova team lost 10-17. to 17. Of course, this is ranked in the FCS, not at the FBS level. Um, so there were some close games to go along with the games that they got blown out. But in general, you know, when they played Power 5 competition like Syracuse, they got demolished. So I'm kind of expecting that uh, going forward into this game. I think most people would. Now, as far as what they did also uh, statistically, you know, they averaged right around 19 points per game. 26 points per game is what they allowed defensively. Uh, On the offensive side, they ran for only 91 yards per game. So not a very good rushing football team, and now they're playing the best run defense they've seen in a long time. I might be ever. I, I don't I don't even know, but this is going to be a very tough test for them running the football. Throwing the ball, they averaged 212 yards passing last year. So in total, about 303 yards per game were their averages for the entire season. So not extremely explosive on offense. On defense, they, aver- they gave up 26 points per game. Keep in mind, that does include a game where they gave up 62 points. So really that number is inflated a little bit um, as far as what they did on the defensive side I uh, gave up 162 yards passing per game um, and on the defense side gave up 185 yards rushing so pretty balanced what they gave up on the defensive side as well um, specific players there's not there, there aren't very many guys that I'm looking at and going that's a true difference maker on this team um, they have some good wide receivers a couple guys returning who made an impact for them there um, so they might take some shots deep downfield um, but outside of that, there's just not a lot that's worrying me about this football team. Dave Aranda didn't mention a single player by name. Uh, he referred to some guys, though, like the running back transfer, Todd Sibley Jr., mm-hmm. 
who comes over from Pitt, uh, where he played multiple years. So that's a guy of note. Um, you know, he just he mentioned that running the ball is their bread and butter. Basically, I'm not worried about them running the football in Baylor. Yeah, Ninety so yards like, per I game mean, last year. My gosh, on, that's bro. not really a bread and butter. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, he didn't say bread and butter, but running the ball is a huge part of what they do. But it's a huge part of what they do, just like it is for everybody. The run sets up the pass, and then yeah, you can do both, and hey, you can have more success. I mean, that's basically the gist of it. Um, but complimentary and respectful, but, I mean, there's not a lot to write home about here. I mean, like I said, six touchdown favorites uh, in this game, playing at home, and with the defense they have, um, yeah, it's uh, it should be a very handy victory uh, for Baylor and should be one where, you know, you're coasting and feeling good about just being able to watch the game, for the most part, pretty carefree. I mean, that's that's why you have games like this. It's a payday for Albany. It's a, you know, a warm-up and a, a test for uh for Baylor to kind of see where they are and get their feet wet a little bit. Yeah, and Syracuse wasn't very good last year. No, and they won. Dino Babers should probably not be head coach there anymore. <laughs> so. But um, yeah, you know, it's just part of the deal, and that's another hot seat that'll be hot once again this off season, I'm sure, uh, as it has been for for what seems like quite a while now. At yeah, this point. and we'll dive deeper into the teams later on. But this this game, like we've talked yeah. about, it's all I mean, about we'll Baylor, talk Texas, and, and Oklahoma, and yeah. get into some individuals. But I mean, let's just be kind of realistic yeah. about the situation. Right. They, this is not a right. game that they should have a whole lot of trouble with. Now, the coaches can't say that, and the players can't think that, but, I mean, that that is what the deal is here. So, um, yeah, heavy favorites. Uh, Aranda mentioned they've got veteran back in. they got a defensive front that plays with technique and tries to leverage the run game. they got mismatch tight end. I mean, all that good stuff sounds good, and I'm sure that they'll – you know, have that on full display. I guess the one thing they can't really account for is just the wrinkles that every new team brings in the new season. You know, what have they worked on and what could they have in their arsenal that you're not expecting or haven't seen on film? But even then, I mean, they need like 10 of those things to to catch Baylor completely off guard and make this a contest. So, um, Albany, it is what it is, uh, but the Great Danes making their way down from New York, uh, and we will see them in person on Saturday. So, um, there you go with that. Uh, now, how do you want to do this next phase here, Grayson, as far as uh, we've got the mailbag and we've got the Big 12 games, but uh, the season itself, I mean. Just just expectations, I think, okay. and what games, I guess, record and what games you find problematic okay. for Baylor. So we're not going to go one by one. Okay, we don't good. Have to. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think we need to do that necessarily because we're going to delve each week deeply into right. each individual game. But I'll tell you this. Uh, I was at 8-4 and four pretty much this whole offseason. Um, and the closer we get, yes, I have questions about skill positions, but I'm looking at the rest of the Big 12, and I'm just trying to figure out, even with road games, of why I'm supposed to think Baylor's going to lose multiple games. And I'm having a harder and harder time doing it as we get closer because of the strengths of their lines and uh, just some of the, the players they have returning that I'm excited to see, especially on defense. Um, I do worry a little bit about just the lack of experience at skill spots. I mean, offense, there's like basically zero returning. I mean, you got like a couple of squirrel games in like Tay garbage time. And, you know, but there's there's not like Gavin from like three years ago when he, you know, but those are like the stats you're really playing with with a lot of this offense outside of Blake Shapin. So like that remains a concern, but I'm I'm leaning closer to 10 games than I am eight games. Um, at this point, just because even those road games, I, you know, I respect Iowa State, but I don't think that Baylor can't beat them in Ames, Iowa. Uh, I respect Texas, but that doesn't mean I don't think Baylor can beat them in Austin. Now, I'm not ready to think that this team, as young and as inexperienced as it is, uh, is just going to go through the whole road slate unscathed. So that's why I'm 
not you know going all in on uh, undefeated, but I do think they're going to drop a couple of regular season games. But that's an improvement on me thinking they were going to drop like four of those regular season games. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm in that 9-10 to 10 range now more so than I am. And I'm talking regular season uh, more so than I am 8-4, and four, which is a moderate, you know, minuscule difference really. But not really because winning 9 or 10 games is a way bigger deal than winning 8. So if you were to put on paper, would you say 9-3 and three or 10-2? and two? I think I'd like the uh, – I, I think I'd lean more towards 10-2 and two, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at. And yeah. I've been at 10-2 and two for a while. I think this team's really, really good. Um, and, and I think it's been pretty obvious. And, and everything that I've said, it's all about the offensive and defensive lines. They are extremely stout there. And that usually bodes really well, especially if you have a quarterback that's very good. Baylor decided to replace their starting senior quarterback with Blake Shapin. So they see an upgrade there. I think Shapin's going to be a top three quarterback in the Big 12 to go along with what they have up front. That's a great combination. And I look up and down this schedule and I go, okay, at BYU. They absolutely mauled BYU a year ago. And both are returning a lot on both sides on the offensive and defensive lines. But why is that a good thing for BYU? After they got mauled by Baylor a year ago on the offensive and defensive line. So that game doesn't worry me as much. The games that worry me are kind of the games that I think are a little bit sneaky as well as just tough road environments. So you know, going to Iowa State to start Big 12 play. That's a little concerning. Sure. Iowa State plays really good defense. They're hard-nosed. They're well-coached. That, that's a concern. Do I think Hunter Deckers is some out-of-this-world talent? No. So I think that gives Baylor an advantage there. At West Virginia on a Thursday night, that is a very tough place to play in a game that they absolutely could drop and one that if I were projecting their losses, that would be one in my eyes that I think they could lose. Um, and then See, I don't think West Virginia is going to be all that great. I really well, don't. We're going to find out on Thursday. No, I yeah, know, we'll, but I, I'm, I'm like, I'm with you though. Like, I, I'm looking where my losses are coming from. They got to come yeah. from somewhere, and West Virginia might be that, might yeah. be that team. And they've never won there, and it's right. on a Thursday. It's just a tough. It's a tough yeah. situation coming off of beating Oklahoma State, which I'm projecting. It's just one of those games that's a little bit of a trap game. Um, and then at Oklahoma in Norman, that's just tough. That, that's, that's one I had pegged as a loss. Yeah. That's just really hard for me to to sit there and project that they're going to go to Oklahoma and beat them. Now, I will say. Which if they've done they, like twice ever, maybe once ever. Once ever. Yeah. Right? It was 2014. Yeah. It's the only time. So, I don't know. That's a tough one. I do think if they play them on a neutral side, as in if they play them in the Big 12 championship, I think Baylor can absolutely beat Oklahoma. And I would probably predict that if they're playing neutral or at Baylor, I'd, I'd pick Baylor to win that game. But I think that'll be tough. That's where my other loss is, I think. So I have them going 10-2. and two. I think that that's super fair. I think it's also fair if you wanted to say 9-3 and three, or if you wanted to say... Um, 11 and 1 or 12 and 0. That that's fine as well. Um we've talked about 8 and 4 being the floor. I absolutely still believe that. I, I think maintain that, that. It would take a lot. Yeah. It would take a lot for them to go 8 and 4 in my eyes. It would also take a lot for them to go 12 and 0. Um Oh so. yeah. Yeah, I mean to, to go through the if they were able to go through the road schedule and take off, you know, boxes like winning the first time ever in Morgantown, winning the second time ever in Norman, you know, winning in BYU, like all these different things. Winning thi in Austin when yeah. they struggled. The very end of the year, Black Friday when, you know, who knows what situation Texas or Baylor are in at that yeah. point in the year. That could be like playing for bowl eligibility for Texas for all we know, mm -hmm. or that could be for a Big 12 title spot for all we know for both teams. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm I guess I definitely lean more towards um 
towards uh nine and ten than I than I would eight, but eight's definitely the floor. I think anything. Yeah, I, I can't even come up with four losses for them uh, to go eight and four. But that, that's kind of where I sit. So I do have a question: Are you leaning closer to like? Do you think there's a bigger, uh, a higher chance that they finish nine and three or eleven and one? Nine and three. Okay, so yeah. I'm on the opposite. I think yeah. there's a better chance that they go eleven and one than nine and three. Yeah, there's um, too many question marks for me. Even but, if they're not yeah. huge questions, I just I need to see this team play mm-hmm. um, with as many new faces in big roles as there's going to be, um, and a new quarterback. I mean, yeah, we saw him at the end of the year, but we didn't see him suiting up from moment one. And I know everybody's very confident about shape, and I am as well. But like, just the grind of the season to get through at that point, like, who the heck knows, man? So you just take it week by week. But yeah, in a perfect world, I'd if I could ensure me like no injuries, everything's fine. There's no coaches leaving. There's no, you know, drama outside that is distracting. Like, no anything. Then yeah, I'd probably lean more towards like eleven or twelve wins, but I mean it's it's football season. There's going to be some wonky things that go on at some point, some adversity. Yeah. So you mentioned that you don't think West Virginia is very good. Where what are what are the you know if there's three games that you're like I think they're going to lose or you know what I mean like to get you to that ten and two or nine and three. What are those? Well, I just games told you like? I could give you West Virginia. I mean I'm just not convinced they're going to be that good yeah, because everybody's doing this based simply off like just the quarterback pickup. And I get J T Daniels is an upgrade over who they had, so he could make a huge difference for them. But yeah, I'd say that one. Um, Iowa State is another one, and Oklahoma. I, I guess I'd go with those three. I, I still you know. I don't know how good Tech's going to be, but I don't like them going out to Lubbock with all that swirls with the familiarity and just how much that game's going to probably mean to the home team in that yeah. one. And and so there's some landmines, Texas at the end, you know, but those would be the three I'd probably lean heaviest on. Okay. Um, and maybe I'd switch one for Texas at the end of the year, like mm-hmm. uh, West Virginia perhaps, but that's where I sit. So, folks, I mean, who cares? We're, we're predicting nine, ten wins for this team. I mean, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, compared to what we were predicting this podcast like two and three years ago, <laughs> Um, life's pretty good for the Baylor Bears. So uh, maybe those losses don't come at all, but if a couple of them do come up, that won't be totally surprising, and uh, some teams will have definitely earned it because we both think that Baylor's going to be pretty dadgum good this year if that hasn't been evident over the course of the last few months because even my pessimism, I think I, my floor has been 8-4 and four at worst. So, I mean, that's, that's not too bad at all when you really yeah. think about and it. And so either way, if you have not placed a bet on Baylor's win total, go do that. Because seven yeah. and a half, they're absolutely. Oh yeah, I definitely going over yeah, seven and a half. They're brother. covering that. Throw a hundred on there for yeah. me because I don't have access. I don't even know how any <laughs> of that stuff works. But yeah, I would definitely throw a hundo on there if I had had the ability to. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we sit. But Albany up first, and then of course turn around next week, and it's on the road to Provo and BYU. So that will be. We'll definitely get deeper. By the way, the Cougars, as we'll get deeper into them than we did Albany's roster, but. Uh, not sure, like, long-term-wise, um, but Puka Nakua and, um, gosh, I just went blank on the uh, the other. Gunnar Romney, I believe, are both hurt right now. Wow. So if they're not available next week, that would not really be a good thing for BYU in any shape or form or Uh-oh. fashion. So Here comes Gary. Not, not promising any of that, but, like, right now they apparently are banged yeah. up, so we'll see if that lasts beyond this weekend. Gary Bohannon week one coming up for them yeah Yeah. uh so you would assume that they might give them a little bit of a rest before baylor uh but this saturday will tell us a lot about kind of where those guys sit um and and whether or not you might be eyeing them being available for the game in provo which they'll they'll need that Uh, they'll need those guys to be available so uh let's get into the mailbag and then we'll close out with our big 12 uh predictions and got uh, quite a few questions 
uh, on the mailbag this week. If you got the first one, go ahead and fire it off there. Yeah, so Scotty B, the Baylor King. I noticed that Albany has two guys with 400 yards receiving, returning at wide receiver this year. How well do you think Baylor contains the passing game, especially those two guys? Um, so he's mentioning uh, Roy Alexander and Jackson Parker. Uh, both guys were nearly at 500 yards, but... I mean, they combined for four touchdowns. I just, I don't think they're going to be too big of a problem. You might see a couple big plays here or there, especially because they'll probably play the whole game against Baylor backups as well. Um, but I don't anticipate them having any sort of impact that challenges Baylor to really much of a degree at all. Yeah, same here. I, I don't worry about their personnel all that much. I just, I want to be respectful, but it is what it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat yeah. it. Uh, does Baylor get two 100-yard rushers in this game? Yes. Pretty easily. Who are you going to say? Uh, uh, well, so if Squirrel doesn't play, then I, I think Tay is definitely getting 100 yards, and then I think he'll probably be done at halftime, and then it's going to be probably one of Quaylen or Richard Reese. I'll go with Richard Reese. How about that? His first game as a true freshman, he'll run for 100 yards. Scotty B, anyways, I want to give a shout-out to volleyball and knocking out the defending champs Wisconsin this past Saturday despite losing the prior game to Minnesota. And, yeah, shout-out to uh, Faith Lynch and uh, the rest of the Baylor volleyball team for their big win, and I uh, did see that that – Result come across, and congrats, uh, Ryan McGuire and company getting a nice start, nice moment to start the year, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. Most arc of the starters named today, who are two players on O, two players on D, you think will be, fans will be most impressed by as the season progresses? Ooh, most impressed by. That's such a tough one because that, that basically says it needs to be someone that most fans aren't thinking about, right, or aren't on their radar. That's how I look at it, at least. I, I don't look at it as, oh, name Ben Sims. You know what I mean? It's got to be a little yeah, bit of a Yeah, some under the radar guys. Yeah, so I'm going to go with, um, you know, Josh Cameron's not listed as a starter. So I guess, I, does it have to be a starter? But I'm going to name him. I think he's going to impress some people this year. I think he's going to have a great year and be one of their probably top three receivers. Um, and then I guess I, I think the other one would be, uh, Micah Mazuka. I think he's going to be great this year. I, I think he's going to be a fantastic player, and you're going to see a guy who can really move people up front and is athletic enough to be a problem in the wide zone scheme. So I think those two guys are pretty good bets. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, some of the young receivers, Hal Presley. I'm looking forward to seeing Richard Reese. I mean, those aren't under the radar guys necessarily, but those are a couple I'm really looking forward to seeing. Looking forward to seeing you know uh, the defense just as a whole kind of mixing it up but especially that secondary with some some newer yeah. faces and he said defense as well so I guess I would name Devin Lemire who I talked about a little bit earlier on I think he's gonna be great and then Bryson Jackson how about a very underrated guy who I think people are sleeping on a little bit who's gonna have a very impactful year yep new single digit Bryson Jackson uh, Dak JD 90 will we see more of Luke Anthony or Kyron Drones on Saturday it's assuming it's a blowout by halftime like it should be. I think Kyron is going to get a lot of time in this game. I, I think they know what Luke can do, and Luke has played a lot of college football, so they really need Kyron to get more reps. So I think he'll play probably more snaps than Luke does on that day. I would assume so. I mean, it just it makes sense for Kyron to get more snaps. Uh, Luke's had years in the game, and he's coming in as security and you know somebody with starting experience, but you got to get Kyron ready for the future, whatever that future may be. So, yeah, I definitely think it needs to be Kyron. Uh, Ryan Allen Long, now that football's back, time for the tough questions. What's your dream vacation spot and why? Thanks. I will hang up and listen. Dream vacation spot. You know where it is right now? It's actually uh, Banff, Canada. 
Um, really, really like that area. Great for hiking, which my mm. wife and I love to hike. Great mountains, really pretty. So right now, that's that's the top place on my bucket list at the moment. Yeah, I, I swing back and forth between like national park style, like mountains and uh, beaches, uh, mm-hmm. and I just kind of go all over the place in different spots. But this is not so much a dream because, well, I guess it is. It's it's a simple dream though in comparison to like some you know, exotic locale or whatever, but I just want to go to San Diego, man. Mm. I always hear such great things about San Diego and everybody I've ever known that's known me well enough is like, you would love San Diego. So I just feel like it's overdue for me to go there and enjoy myself. I was there this summer and I will reiterate it. It was amazing. The beach is beautiful there. It's yeah, it's a very beautiful place. Yeah. So that's, again, it's not like I'm going to go to London, England, or, you know, I I don't know what that would be. That kind of like an all timer of a trip, but something in that same vein, some exotic beach or, Mm -hmm. or a mountain resort type thing, like, uh, like you're talking about. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'll go San Diego for right now. Maybe they'll join the conference and that'll be an easy road trip (laughs) for me to make. We'll go there in a few days early. Uh, AF blue 82 over under on players at each position. They get reps on Saturday quarterback three and a half. Uh, Oh, over under players. I'm going under. There's not going to be more than three quarterbacks playing. There shouldn't be. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking on that a little bit because I think the three, I mean, we saw like Brandon Bass played in last year's game. I think, I think I'm going to take the over. I think okay. four guys will play. Uh, running back five and a half. Ooh, okay. Uh, so Squirrel's not playing under. Since Squirrel's not playing, because I think the other guys will all get reps. Yeah, I'd say probably under. Um, yeah, I don't know about six guys carrying the football. I mean, reps, though, it doesn't have to be carrying the football. Um, but yeah, I'll still say. I don't know, break even, I guess, on the I, – I guess can't have a half special guy. teams count. Like, you know, oh, I mean – No, no, no. Got to be – rest of running the back, I'll go under then at five and a half. Um, wide receiver, nine and a half. I'll go under on that. I'll go over. Okay. I think they'll get guys on the field. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is Albany, they should blow them out. Like, yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah, they'll probably empty – yeah, they'll empty the bench. So, probably right. all of these should be over. Tight end, four over. and a half. Okay, over. That's yeah. definitely – like, that one for sure. I'd say – that one I feel the most confident about being over. Um, quarterback, I think that'll be kind of play it by ear. But, yeah, running back and wide receiver, in theory, you should empty the bench. So however many guys they have in the depth chart, and if they have six running backs, then six running backs will probably play to some extent. And uh, wide receiver, I think that's the one I probably feel the most confident about, 10 guys seeing time at one point or another. Uh, AF Blue also asks, who leads the team in sacks for Albany? Who leads the team in touchdowns for Albany? Ooh, um touchdowns i'm gonna go with tay mcwilliams yeah um i think that's a fairly safe bet there sacks oh man that's a tough one um how about bryson jackson how about we just keep the trend going i'll go with bryson uh i'll go with i mean bryson is kind of their their rusher although he's trying to be more than that this year so he doesn't tip opposing offenses um trying to think who's all in the defense um uh I don't know. Matt Jones would be probably. <laughs> that's the one I was kind of stuck yeah. on. Was like, is that too obvious? That Matt, nah, Matt, I can go Matt yeah. Jones. I mean, that's that's the name that's kind of ringing in my head a little bit. So yeah, um, who leads the team in touchdowns? Uh, I'll go with Blake Shapen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he'll probably lead the team in touchdowns. Um, if that counts, then then let that count. So I'll go Blake Shapen. But outside of that, I'd say maybe a Richard Reese. I could see him running more than maybe some of the others mm-hmm. and being in there a bit longer. Uh, just the bear in a frog world. Dave Aranda reminds me of Tony Dungy as a soft-spoken coach who doesn't throw tantrums to get his point across. In his first year, people seem to label him as a soft. How would you describe Dave's coaching style and how he's able to be successful as a head coach given his personality? 
Uh, I guess let's start there. Yeah, I mean, he's an elite mind. I mean, he knows the game extremely well, and I think because of that, he's able to really get his point across to his players. Um, I also think he's hired guys extremely well as well, and they want to work for him because they trust him and trust his knowledge and ability to to put a good product on the field. So I think those are the reasons. I mean, given his personality, I don't think his personality is a drawback at all. I think it's just one of those things where behind closed doors, you know, those people know him a lot better and trust him. I think he's a very um, trustworthy guy. And I think because of that, great coaches want to be around him. Great coaches want to learn from him. And it's also allowed him to learn a lot from great coaches as well. So I think that's kind of how I would describe him. Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, quiet but carries a big stick and uh, probably a lot more talkative behind the scenes and behind closed doors with, you know, individual players and discussions than, than we probably could imagine just seeing him on the surface as we do. But, yeah, just calm, cool, and, and calculated, but in a, a very open way still. Um, how would you describe Dave? Okay, secondly, I can't imagine he's in the locker room screaming at guys to get them fired up before a game. Who's the hype man? And more importantly, have you ever seen Dave Aranda bust a move? I mean, he'll yell on occasion. He's just not going to rant and rave and scream at somebody like and get in their face and all that. But you see him, you know, yell on occasion just mm-hmm. to fire guys up. But yeah, it's not a, a regular deal. But their assistants on the sidelines and the peripheral guys, that's like almost their job is to yeah. create that energy and that excitement. You'll see them waving towels and you'll see them riling guys up. And that's, that's really where a lot of that manufactured excitement kind of comes from. Yeah, I was going to say Vic Val- Valoria and the entire strength Those and guys, conditioning yeah. staff, they are just awesome. Yeah. They bring the energy. And I, I think they're the guys who are maybe, quote unquote, the hype men, I guess. Yeah, strength and conditioning staff really takes a. Takes a large part of that. And then, you know, uh, other peripheral mm-hmm. coaches on the sidelines as well. And then, you know, get the players into it. And then hopefully you, you spread like wildfire that energy. And he definitely focused on energy and building that throughout games uh, during his press conference yesterday. So that's definitely going to be an emphasis is creating that energy, even if it's 50 to nothing in the third quarter and everybody's gone, you know, from the stadium. Yeah. How do they keep creating that and then have it last through the fourth quarter? So that will be interesting to see. And, Strength and conditioning staff will probably be a large part of that, especially late in that game as it's waning. Polo Bear, with the offseason coming to a close, what were some of the <laughs> dumbest storylines this offseason in college football? Wow, good question. Uh, Sark not releasing a depth chart. Um, yeah. No. Um, I mean, that, that's that kind of a dumb one. one. Yeah, I, there, it's, it's I saw way dumb. too much about that. Um, some of these NIL deals um, that I've seen, that those have been – pretty dumb <laughs> but yeah. it, it's been a big storyline i'm trying to think what were some other storylines i mean really, really there were substantial ones there was like realignment there's the big 10 um you know it's tv deal and there was yeah. things like that i don't consider those like dumb storylines um oh the jimbo nick saban thing that was, was dumb. dumb yeah that, that was, was dumb, dumb. Uh, i might go beef. with that one that is a very very uh sec beef right there yeah. which is sometimes yeah. very entertaining but this version i didn't particularly oh, care for i think one of the dumbest storylines is the whole your mark verse um Klyakov. Klyakov. yeah i think that's been pretty dumb and pretty i think people are trying to hype that up more than they're they're it actually is as far as tension goes yeah i, just, I don't think there's I don't know. yeah i don't think there's much to that i think maybe the the pack 12 um defenders is kind of a, a dumb thing yeah. and the whole big 12 defenders and who who's who and who's right or wrong or whatever it's like they're both just trying to survive and i think some of the pac 12 side of stuff is straight goofy um but i'm sure they feel the same way about the big 12 so they'll both be alive this season and probably for seasons to come but i still maintain i like the big 12's position better for whatever reason whether that's a nod in the feather of the cap of the pac 12 that the big 12's on stronger footing because none of their teams are wanted 
whatever makes you feel better. I'm tired of the the back and forth at this point. Like, yeah. I just want to see football. So, yeah, some of that stuff too, um, but nothing too terribly bad. Um, ZT Smith, 423, what, if anything, can we learn from this first game? Yeah, for me in this first game, it, it has everything to do with Baylor. Um, you know, are they dominating up front on both sides of the ball? Are they being able to run their offense and do things, especially like running the football when Albany knows they're going to run the football? It's those little things that I'm going to be paying attention to. It's also assignments. You know, are you blowing assignments on defense? Are you uh, missing tackles? Do you look like a well-coached team? I, I think all of those things are probably some of the biggest takeaways. I would also say, you know, naturally we're all going to, probably be paying attention to Blake Shapin and how he looks, how accurate he is, how he's delivering the football um, along with these wide receivers. Are they catching the football? Are they creating separation? Um, Those type of things do matter to me um, because they should be creating separation quite often. They should be winning routes downfield um, and Shapin should be able to hit them. That just frankly should absolutely happen. But outside of that, that's that's pretty much it. It's just those little things that about Baylor that I'm going to take away from it. Yeah, uh, same sort of for me. Nothing much from what Albany's going to do. Just more or less seeing guys out there, some of them for the first time or some of them first time in a long time, and uh, just kind of picking up on how they've progressed and how they've evolved and, you know, what they're doing and whether they look like they know what they're doing or not and, you know, how many how many uh, times they trip over themselves and, you know, what's smooth, what's not. I mean, Aranda spent time talking about, like, their whole, like, last scrimmage, basically, like a large portion of it was just going through, like, pregame details of, like, here's where you set up and here's where we're going to stretch and here's where we're going to walk through. And here's where like all that stuff is is the stuff they were working on last weekend. So, um, you know, just how ironed out are the details and and how rocky are things, you know, kind of out of the gates. Yeah. And I think last year, a lot of people were upset when people came away with takeaways from the Texas state game. And I actually think looking back on it, they nearly, you know, threw up all over themselves. I mean, to a certain extent. Yeah. But I think we did learn a lot about that team that actually translated throughout the year. Like they ran the ball extremely well and the score should have been more like, you know, there were little things that happened that weren't, what happened the rest of the year, but there were still things that you could kind of take forward. Like, you know, at times Gary was inaccurate at times, you know, the defense gave up an explosive player had trouble with a mobile quarterback. Like those things did happen later in the year. Um, the game should have been, you know, a wider margin, but in general, there were some things that I, I felt like looking back, we did learn about the team that stuck throughout the year. Matt Workman, how many tight ends are too many on a depth chart? Uh, I don't think there's an answer to that question. It's unlimited. It's a little yeah. infinity sign. I mean, they don't have too many right now, if that's what the question is. They they don't. I know everyone's looking at the depth chart, and they saw all those ores, but that has more to do with kind of the, the depth that they built there and the walk-ons that they have. Like, Gavin Yates is a really, really good walk-on that they have listed. Um, but, yeah, they only have four scholarship tight ends. That's That's not too many. No. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's a group that you're going to see all of. Uh, I think, like, the D-line, it's a special kind of timing all came together to create a pretty special group, and I think you're going to see that with the tight ends as well. So definitely enjoy that that mm-hmm. set of players this year because who knows when they'll have another solid group like this with a guy like Ben Sims and Drake Dabney, not to mention all of the, the young players. Uh, Mikey, super stoked for the upcoming season, both college and the NFL. Will the NFL have any Baylor vets starting in regular season games not named Xavier Howard or Jalen Petrie? Good question. Um, starting Baylor starting, players. not anything I can think of the top of my head. No, um, I think I think there's a chance James Lynch starts. 
in Minnesota. He pl- he started a few games um, late in the year last year. I'm not sure if he's projected to do that, but he might be one to keep an eye on. I don't know if he's projected to or not. Last I saw on him, he's gained a bunch of good weight uh, to become more of a, a interior tackle, more of a nose tackle type. Yeah. Um, I don't know off the top of my head the Vikings depth chart, but I, I think he'll be in a rotation of some sort there. But yeah, in theory, could end up starting in some mm-hmm. situations. Um, but yeah, I mean, you asked that question, and I don't think Terrell's starting. I don't think, you know, like it's really Petrie and Howard as far as locks go. And today is the day where rosters get cut down to 53. And I haven't had a chance to like look over who's getting cut. I know there will be some Baylor guys cut. Um, but yeah, I'll, like as far as like who will be left over and who will be starting, Tyquan would have been one. He would, but he's hurt. He'll start by the end of the yeah, year. Yeah, but bet. he would be the one that comes to mind for me. Um, I think Terrell's going to take some time. And you know, JT's going to take time. JT's going to take time. He's not going to start right away. Ebner will have a role, but I, he won't be the starter. No, he needs to get healthy. Uh, Abram got cut. I still think he'll end up on a practice squad or whatever. Josh Gordon got cut. Okay, he did. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, and that was not that's not surprising yeah. actually. He was um, on the Chiefs. Yeah. So. Um. So yeah, I mean, may, I would say, uh, who did I just say? Uh, once they get healthy. Um. Taekwon. Taekwon, that's who I would say. But outside of that, I don't think there's any real guarantees, um, unless I'm just somebody's escaping me. But a lot of backups and a lot of kind of fringe players, and, and that's where it'll be interesting to see, once it shakes out, how close they are to 20 or 30 guys still remaining in the league. But Josh Gordon, another one that I need to, to make note of, and I'll have a piece on that uh, probably sometime tomorrow. Uh, let's go Barrow 8. Hey, guys, a little listener here. Love the content. Keep up the great work. Maybe only my second or third question. Here goes. Love the inside scoop predictions perspective you guys have on other schools in the Big 12. Made me curious as to what schools may be saying about Baylor heading into the season. If you know what are the best podcasts from other schools around the conference to check out and see what their insight is on Baylor, it would also be fun to hear their game recaps after we beat each of them one by one. Thanks. Yeah, um, best podcasts for Big 12. I mean, you know, there's Locked I mean, On, there's you, Heartland. You know, there, there's, there's a, a few. variety of podcast for every school um i mean each one of them's got at least two to three podcasts yeah. and i don't really think that there's like i mean i don't listen to individual school podcasts well enough to be like these are the best i mean i could probably rough shod you know predict it i know oklahoma's got like a billion podcasts yeah. um texas has a billion podcasts baylor's got a billion podcasts don't know at this albany's podcast don't know albany's <laughs> podcast but um yeah i mean just honestly i'm not trying to be be smart here but just Google them. I mean, really, um, BYU podcast, and there will be however many there are will pop up for you. But as far as individual ones, I don't spend a lot of time listening to the the specific ones unless Baylor's playing them. And even then, I only really just pay attention to that for that week alone. Yeah, I don't really either. I mean, you know, during the offseason, I probably listen to a couple just to get more insight. Um, but I mainly read stuff. But I would say, yeah, if you go to Apple Podcasts and type it in the search bar, you'll be able to find some and just click through and try to find the ones you like. I just know the generic Big 12 ones, yeah. you know, Heartland, Locked On Big 12. Those are a couple that are pretty good. But, yeah, outside of that, you know, this is the podcast for all of that. Yeah, uh, good luck on finding an Albany podcast because, I, like he said, I don't know if th- those exist. But, um, yeah, like uh, – you know, Cyclone Fanatic does good stuff with Iowa State. Sooner Scoop with Oklahoma. Those are some of the sites. But again, Orange Bloods with Texas or yeah, Inside um, Texas or whatnot. Right. Or or yeah. Horns 24 yeah, 7. I mean, million, again, yeah. like everybody's got a billion podcasts. So, I mean, just skip around and find one you like and, and roll with that. But uh, nothing too specific because there's just a lot of options out there these days. So, hopefully, you find what you're looking for. Appreciate and ask you. more questions in the future. We, we, 
always want as many questions as possible. ATX Bear 20, uh, any intel on who gets the number one? I guess nobody for right now. Yeah, um, I, I guess that's where I'm at, too. I don't have anything specific yeah. or a rumor. I guess nobody earned it or just, I don't know, but uh, nothing nothing to shed maybe light shaping. on there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. maybe. Could be any could be anything because yeah. there's, there's no answer over on this end. But, uh, yeah, just maybe not enough guys or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, no idea. Also, why score listed as kicker turner but not running back? I know Rule gave basically fake depth charts. Isn't Arena somewhat in line with that? It's been a while since last season. Yeah, I don't think his depth charts are – he won't even say he's, accurate. you know, yeah. um, I guess he has acknowledged that he's dinged up. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's been dealing with some things, and he's even mentioned his knee. But, yeah, I mean, Arena's not going to come out and just give you all the all the goods of, like, yeah. who's in, who's out, and, and what they're doing and, and all of that jazz. I do think he likes to keep some shroud of, of kind of the opponent guessing mm-hmm. no matter who that they are. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where he's coming from, and I wouldn't read too much into depth charts, honestly, beyond – this week really I think it's interesting to see kind of where guys are after fall camp but some teams just like the intern fills these out beyond week one so uh Doc Crowell finally uh wrapping us up here what is the order of the offers going out tell us about prioritization any surprises on who was offered ASAP um I guess new offers yeah uh yeah but these offers I mean these offers went out before the dead period technically ended so it was more you know it wasn't the same kind of contact that's going to happen on September 1st. And that's mainly going to be about the guys who already have offers, to be honest. You'll see more offers start to come out. Um, but they've already put out a bunch of offers, so that's why I'm kind of thinking it's not really What does about, it tell you about prioritization? Yeah, it, it, you know, it does say some things when guys are offered two years before their class is up. It tells you, you know, kind of how elite of a prospect that is at that time. Um, but now that we're getting closer and in 2024, they've already offered, you know, a significant amount of guys. It doesn't really matter who's offered now. You know, they've already done that. That prioritization has already passed. So now it's more about finding guys who uh, jump on the radar. And that's the other thing. Some guys jump on the radar w- during their junior year and you're like, oh man, I like that guy a lot better than the other guy I already offered. So that's kind of where I'm, I kind of lean towards. It doesn't mean a whole lot unless it's way, way in advance or one of the first offers in the class. All right. So uh, with the Seacom 365 was with Sikkim 365 joining a local TV station, will we see this segment guest starring, or will that just stay Sikkim 365 Radio? I guess you're asking about this podcast. No. Um, it'll just be cut-ups from the uh, radio show. At least that's the plan at last I heard it. And Doc says, I'm just ready for Albany. But no, the Bearcast isn't going to be a part of that. Uh, maybe down the line if the relationship expands or something, but it's just going to be um, pulled from the radio show for uh, for starters. But excited about uh, joining up and, and having some local TV representation, just a part of the, the brand growing. So I do appreciate you, Doc, and uh, hopefully you'll be tuning into that along with a, a lot of other people as well. And uh, before we get into our Big 12, uh, I guess, predictions, I did need to make mention uh, before uh, we forget and move on, uh, there was a pretty massive uh, commit for Baylor basketball, was there not? Yes, uh, there was. Jason Asimoto yesterday, and uh, didn't want to run off without mentioning that, but another massive pickup for Scott Drew in Baylor basketball as uh, he announced his commitment uh, to kick off uh, what should be a pretty big week here. We were on top of it. Mm-hmm. We talked about it, thanks to Ashley pretty much for having that prediction in for a while and you know getting us geared up for the official visit that happened this past weekend. He committed on the official visit, and um, he's a top 15 player in the country. 
And according to 247, he's number 12 player in the class. Composite-wise, he's number 16. So right in that top 15, a great get. He's about 6'8", 190 pounds, so a small forward type. Very long, fits kind of everything that Baylor wants in a wing position guy. And so, yeah, th- this is big time. He had 22 offers from all kinds of schools all over the country. He came on, came on his official visit, and it was over. Um, and we kind of highlighted that and kind of felt like it was going in that direction. And now Baylor has a start to the 2024 class. And we've seen what they've done the past few classes. They've really been elite on the recruiting trail, and that's continued. Um, and th- this is a great, great get to kick off the 2024 class. Yep, so uh, any other week he might be like the focal point yeah. of the podcast, but uh, it is football season now, but still a massive get for uh, Scott Drew and company. And, yeah, kickstarting that 2024 class with a five-star talent and, and Jason Asamoda. So, uh, Grayson, the Big 12 games this week to close this thing out. Yeah, let's go to the Big 12 schedule. So, we'll start with Thursday, September 1st. Central Mis- Michigan travels to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State at 6 p.m. on FS1. Are the Cowboys going to get upset week one of the season? No, no. Um, Spencer Sanders should play well, I would think. Um, this is a big year for him, his final year for him, and I'm um, curious to see Derek Mason's defense a little bit to what extent we see you know, what he displays, but no, I'm not worried about the Cowboys. Yeah, I like Oklahoma State to win this game. I will take them 41-21. to 21. I think they get this one pretty handedly, but I do think Central Michigan will you know, score some points and, and do a couple things that are tough, especially in week one of the season. That Central Michigan's actually a decent football program. Uh, next game up, uh, at the same time, West Virginia at Pittsburgh, number 17 ranked Pittsburgh on ESPN. The backyard brawl is back. Who do you got in this one? I have no idea on this game. Uh, I'm not like major on West Virginia, but, uh, you know, Pitts had a lot of turnover as well of between quarterback and obviously Jordan Addison. But, um, Come on, Neil Brown's got to win this game, right? I mean, this would be a huge win for the Mountaineers. Um, I don't have a great feel one way or the other. I mean, part of me kind of is leaning Pitt, and I don't know why. Um, Keaton Slovis has just won me over, I suppose. I don't know, but uh, for West Virginia's sake, I'll go with the Mountaineers in this game. Yeah, Pitt's defense is very, very good, and that's going to be some problems for West Virginia. I am a believer in West Virginia, and I think they're going to win either this game or the game at Virginia Tech in a few weeks, and I've been going back on back and forth on which one I think they're going to win. Um, I'm going to take them. I think, I think I'm going to take them to win this game. I do. Um, It's at the Steelers Stadium, I believe, uh, for this one. So kind of a home game for Pitt. Um, Yeah, so I'll go with West Virginia. I think they're going to take this one 24-21. Really, really close game, but uh, I like the Mountaineers. Yeah, I think Pitt is favored uh, favored in this game. Seven and a half. Yeah, but I'm going to go with the Mountaineers. Uh, Moving on to Friday, Tennessee Tech travels to Kansas at 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus to the Jayhawks. Get one step closer to covering their over-under season one total of two and a half. Well, they damn sure better because if they don't beat Tennessee Tech, then there's not a whole lot of hope the rest of the way. That's for sure. But, yeah, they get a win in, in game number one. Yeah, I like Kansas winning this one pretty easily. Uh, I'll take them 37-13 to 13 to knock off Tennessee Tech in the first game of the year. Next up, TCU travels to Colorado. 
9 p.m. on ESPN. Um, do the Horn Frogs get a win in Sonny Dyke's first game as the head coach? I say yes because even though they have a lot of questions, I still like them better in the shape that they're in better than Colorado. Uh, Colorado could very well be looking at changing coaches again in the near future. They don't really have an identity. Um, the reason I, I even watched a lot of Colorado, the plethora of Texas kids has started to even fade a bit. Um, they're just they're kind of there, man. They're not a they're not a factor in today's college football, really. Um, and TCU is trying to become a factor once again. And they were, you know, obviously very rocky year last year. I think they're going to have a lot less stress to be playing with, and it's going to be different. But again, this isn't an offense that Sunny Dykes bringing in that's going to like take them several games to figure out how they're, you know, operating or anything like that. So. I think they've got just enough talent coming back, even if the quarterback's a major question on who all that will be and everything. They've got a couple guys they know a little bit about, at least. It's not a complete question mark. So, yeah, I'm going TCU in this game. Yeah, TCU's a 13.5-point favorite. I think that's entirely too many points. That's um, a lot, yeah. Colorado, all four of their wins last year were at home. They also lost to Texas A&M 10-7 the first game of the year last year. I think people forget that. They took A&M to the wire uh, to start the season. I think TCU's going to have some problems trying to score in this game, but I think Colorado will have issues as well because they're just not very good. Um, ultimately, I think TCU will win this game, but I think it is going to be tight. It's going to be a very, very close game. Um, I'll take the Horn Frogs 27-20. Uh, to 20. They'll knock off Colorado. Moving on to the Saturday slate, Southeast Missouri State travels to Ames to take on Iowa State at 1 p.m. on ESPN+. Uh, Iowa State moving on. Yeah, Iowa State wins this one 45 to 13. Easy one for the Cyclones. Next Even up. Even though they've stumbled out of the gates uh, last yeah. few years, it seems yeah. like. Well, they, it was, it's always week two when they play Iowa. Yeah, it's always a little shaky start somewhere for them, but yeah, not this week. Don't worry, I'll be taking Iowa next week. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> next game up, UTEP, uh, who lost their first game of the year to North Texas, I believe. They travel to Norman to take on number nine ranked Oklahoma at 230 on Fox. First game for Brent Venables as the head coach. Um, that'll be interesting just the, the wrinkles of uh, having a new era begin, but this is all Oklahoma, and I'm not worried about it one single bit. Yeah, this can be a blowout. I like Oklahoma 55-17 to 17 to knock off UTEP. Next up is South Dakota traveling to Kansas State uh, to take on the Wildcats at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Lots of high hopes for uh, Kansas State this year. Yeah, there is uh, so much so that I'm starting to kind of like want to downplay them a little bit because now it's kind of running out of control of just the K-State love. But, um, you know, it's it's valid for for the reasons that are often cited. You know, Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez when he's good. But, again, there's always that caveat of, like, if he can be good, if he can not turn the ball over. But if he can do that, like, they could be really stinking good potentially on offense. Um, but, yeah, K-State all day. Yeah, I'm going to take K-State, but Kansas State struggles in these type of matchups historically. They they play these games really close, and South Dakota is a pretty good FCS program, so I'll take them to win it 35-17, uh, to 17, but I think it'll be closer than the scoreboard says by the end of it. Uh, next up, Murray State travels to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. This game's at 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus as the Joey McGuire era begins. Yeah, um, they've certainly... Gosh, I mean, is that place going to be able to contain the excitement? They've been literally building it up for like 
10 months at this point, um, a little less than that, I guess. Actually, yeah, a few few months, but but it seems like it's been ten months. I mean, the countdown and all of the off season hype. So I'm excited to just finally see it. Excited to see what that team looks like, and yeah, I expect them to get a win. Yeah, the route is on in this one. I think Tech's going to run up the score as much as they possibly can. So I like Texas Tech to win this one, fifty five to sixteen. Um, next up, UL Monroe traveling to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns at seven p.m. on the Longhorn Network. Texas has a lot of weirdness surrounding it right now, and I don't know how much of it's reality and how much of it's just people putting that on them and being weird about them and everything that they do, like the depth chart thing. Like, I see why you can read into that, and I can also see why it's stupid to read into that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know where Texas is. Like, is it all just preseason talk that's, like, wishful thinking on the part of people, or is it still just kind of a weird, you know, era of, you know, Sark finding his footing? And I don't know. I, I, I got I don't know what to make of them, man. Mm-hmm. Like, every year is just a crapshoot on whether it's legitimate hype or not, and mostly it's been not. Um, but I, I do think they're exceptionally talented at several spots. I know it's what's said every year, but I, I'll, I'll pick Texas in this game. But I, I really don't know. I'm fascinated to see, like, what – version of this team will we really see this season and what does that mean ultimately in the long run yeah too much offense uh on the texas side but i do think yul monroe will put up some points and i think they will stretch the texas defense a little bit i I like texas 52 to 24 but i'm really intrigued to see how quinn ewers does in his first start uh, all those yeah, weapons finally come together. Finally. Uh, yeah. And then what their offensive line looks like as well. That's going to be very important to watch. And finally, the game of the week, like it is every week, Baylor taking on Albany. Albany traveling to McLean Stadium to take on the number 10 ranked Baylor Bears. This game's at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, I'm going Baylor all day. Um, I would get in trouble here as far as like the spread and all that. This is why... It- <laughs> Six touchdowns. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, in theory, they should they should win by that. But I mean, that's also asking a lot to win by six touchdowns. So, anyways, I expect them to win massive. I don't know if it'll be forty two points or not, but I, I expect them to win comfortably and for everybody to have a nice, relaxing Saturday evening. Yeah, I'll take Baylor sixty six to ten. I think they're gonna blow the doors off this one. I, I think it'll be a blowout, and even the backups will be able to run the football against Albany. So I got Baylor winning that one extremely easily. Um, but that's to be expected. Albany, not a great program, and in the FCS level, and not who they were originally set to no, play. They're supposed they to play Louisiana Tech, uh, which I didn't mention when the person asked, like, why are we playing Albany? It's mm-hmm. because they had to make up a game after La Tech fell through for whatever mutual reasons that ended up being or what. Um, I know Law Tech also picked up a big opponent right after that, from what I remember. But either way, that's why. It was kind of a last-minute almost type of a thing. Uh, so that's why Albany's making their trek down from New York to uh, come play on the banks of the Brazos. But, yeah, I do expect yeah. it to be a pretty easy game. Louisiana Tech's playing at Missouri on Thursday. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, there's a whole whole little thing where that game changed, but uh, should make for a more relaxing opener, I think, mm-hmm. than if they were playing Law Tech. And I don't even know how good Law Tech's supposed to be. But, um, yeah, if if uh, there's anybody out there that thinks this is going to be a tough test, and I'd love to hear the case for why, <laughs> because, I mean, I just think it's going to be all Baylor and kind of name the score. And um, 
you know, should be fun. Should be fun to be back out there and, and fun to have some answers on some things, even though not everything will be answered in week one. But, uh, Grayson, I think that about covers it. Uh, anything before we go here? I mean, just looking at the Sikkim 365 premium side, we have so many articles out right now. So if you're not a premium subscriber, please consider it. We have all kinds of content from previews to uh, Dave Aranda notes to a hype video to just, you know, an individual opponent outlook, a schedule analysis. We have all kinds of stuff, and that continues all throughout the season. And so be sure to check out the premium side and also 365 Sports Radio Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, all kinds of great content and guests throughout the season. Yep, uh, tune in at 3 o'clock. Uh, as Grayson said, we'll be talking with Smokey and Paul and getting into a variety of different things. And uh, like you said, we got hype video on the way, got a ton of articles out there, and uh, now's the time to sign up. And if you want to support the show, support the YouTube channel and all those things, and subscribe. Hit the like button, all that normal jazz. But uh, if you really want to go the extra mile and sign up for the premium section of Sikkim365.com and directly, um, you know, be a part of the, the crew that way as well and support the site and all that we're doing. So hopefully you enjoy and uh, hopefully um, you're able to pour through all that content that we are delivering. And it's only Tuesday, so there's still a lot more to come. But appreciate everybody out there for asking the questions uh, to start us off this season. And uh, appreciate everybody out there for listening as well. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about uh, when. Yeah, I'm not going to say when or. No, yeah. it's going to be a win on Saturday. But how that goes about and who the standouts are and all that we'll get into next week. But good to have some actual action to discuss. So thanks to everybody behind the scenes, including Garrett Ross for Grace and Grunhafer. I'm Craig Smoke. And this has been the BearCast on Sikkim 365 Radio 365 Sports.